You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Episode 179 of Locked On Browns. Uh, going to get to a lot of things here this evening. Uh, probably going to have to cut this up into two parts. Guys, look, the network, uh, they're trying to tell me to slow down, keep these episodes uh, under, you know, around the half hour mark. It's hard for me to do. I got a lot to say, and God knows tonight's guest has a lot to say. But uh, look, uh, the breaking news of the day. Uh, I guess we'll just, you know, take it straight from Joe. A bittersweet day for me today as I announce my retirement. Thank you to all the fans, media, coaches, teammates, and members of the Cleveland Browns organization. It's been the best 11 years anyone could have asked for. I am humbled by the amount of people who have reached out in all kind and all kind of things that people have been saying. Thank you to everyone who's shown me support during this incredible 11-year journey. Go Browns! The third overall pick of the 2007 NFL Draft. Um, one of the fun things we use when we talk about drafts, and it, it usually always seems to come down a lot when we talk about a left tackle especially, is, you know what, that's your guy, sign him. I mean, go draft him, book him in, pencil him in, 10-year starter, you know, that type of thing. It doesn't always work out that way. Um, you know, a lot of bumps in the road, injuries, whatever it may be. Uh, but Joe Thomas filled that bill, uh, you know, and, you know, for an organization that most of the time probably didn't deserve him, came to work every day, never complained, never bitched, never moaned, uh, always hints every offseason, is this maybe the year Joe's going to go to the front office and say, hey, you know, I've kind of done my time here, maybe I'd, I'd like to move on, you know, see what it's like somewhere else. But, nope, never an inkling, never did it. A lot of respect. Uh, joining us here this evening, Pete Smith covers the Browns for NFL Spin Zone. Obviously, guys, a local in the Browns podcast community. Pete, uh, you know, I, I don't think too many of us are shocked, but uh, I think now it's just that it's officially official. Well, I have not had a chance to listen to the Tomahawk podcast, but obviously people were leaking bits and pieces of it. And when you see what he was basically describing he was going through on a daily basis, um, I'm amazed he went this far. Uh, I mean, he, you know, in physical pain pretty consistently, uh, even now, uh, the the I, I suppose the good news for him if the if if there is any is that you know for his career he was probably one of the better players in terms of protecting his head so as much as he's got some physical toll um, on his knees and, and back uh, in particular he has done a a good job in blocking the right way and sort of protecting his brain so whatever. You know, that Joe Thomas, I mean, he talks about some of the memory stuff, and I don't doubt it, but I, I do hope it's more of the fact that he's so busy doing 800 things than a real worry about, you know, long-term damage. But uh, in terms of his career, he is the greatest Cleveland Brown of my lifetime, which is, I'm 36. Um, and in my lifetime, the Mount Rushmore of offensive tackles is Orlando Pace, Walter Jones, Joe Thomas, and now uh, probably Tyron Smith. Um, you know, and and what's funny to me is towards the end of his career, he became underrated. People assumed he was like falling apart or bad or whatever, and the reality was he actually got better because he fine-tuned his game in terms of biomechanics to the point where he was from a how you're supposed to do it biomechanical standpoint he was perfect 
stance was perfect, kick kick out was perfect. Whatever he was trying to do, he had gotten to a point where even if he was losing some of his sort of physical ability, he was a- absolutely perfect in terms of how to use his body. Uh, that it made him the 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 a left tackle that was able to be ten Pro Bowls and seven All Pros and all that stuff. He was literally as good, arguably, in his last year uh, as he was in his prime. That's how sort of good he was, and he obviously did so much in terms of trying to do yoga and manipulating his weight towards the end to try to take some pressure off, which is sort of hinted at the idea that he was uh, obviously struggling struggling with physical pain. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the biggest thing is I'm happy for him that he went out on his own terms. I'm I'm disappointed that he had to. He couldn't go out uh, on the field, and that his last memory of playing is going out with the tricep injury. But it doesn't change the fact of how good he was and how valuable he was on the field as well as off of it. Yeah, and and that's the thing. And you know, the little bits I, I've been able to you know ascertain and listen to, uh, it seems like he's already he's got his focus. He's got his game plan. It, it seems like he's pretty stout in the fact that he knows he needs to lose. He wants to drop weight, uh, you know. Obviously, you know, carrying yourself at over 300 pounds. I mean, and, and Joe's in his 30s now. He's probably been carrying that weight since he was, you know, a late teen. It's it's just not good for your body by any means whatsoever. Then you figure in the, you know, uh, you know, what 700 snaps a season. So you figure 700 mini car crashes per year, if not, you know, a two, a couple on a given play. Uh, you know, and it's, it takes a toll. Um, you know, now lucky for him, he is, you know, full well into what he's going to do. It's just a matter of how big and how grand he wants to do it. Uh, could he be a guy you see on a Monday Night Football stage one day? I think he could be if he wanted to be. Uh, does he maybe not want to travel like that? Uh, he could be, you know, could easily walk into you know any sports radio gig and handle an afternoon drive or a morning drive, and you know, so he's got his, he's got everything set up for him. Uh, you know, I know I, obviously it's tough to walk away, but uh, you, you you can't fool yourself. And I think maybe if anything, maybe the injury changed it a little bit. From the fact that you know I've been here this long, um, I've only suffered this injury. Um, do I want to suffer something worse and then have to try to go through the rest of my life with that injury? So you know, Joe Thomas, uh, spill it a little, you know, pour a little out for you. God bless you. Uh, you know, keep the podcast up, uh, save some listeners for all of us. But uh, you know, absolute Joe Thomas, obviously tip of the cap, and you know, see you uh, can't in about five years. And it sounds like he'll get a nice, nice draw from the Cleveland community, in which probably be one of the bigger attended Hall of Fame ceremonies. Because look for the Browns; not a lot of people are ending up that way. Uh, Locked on Browns, episode one seventy nine is uh, guys. Uh, uh, Locked on NFL Draft. John Ledger, Trevor Sakama, they're doing a fantastic job. You know they got you covered uh, from you know forty days or so away. Uh, go ahead, guys, give the show a listen, give it a follow, give us some downloads. They're doing a good job over there. So check out Trevor and John working very hard. Now we have a lot of roster maneuvering to discuss. Pete, uh, well, we're going to go into trades first. Uh, you know, and you've been awful kind of quiet on this. You haven't had much to say, so we'll see if we can poke your brain here a little bit. Uh, first move went down Friday night, and this is actually kind of funny. I would have been more active Friday night, but uh, I was out with some people in town, and luckily for me, one of the people in town who was out was actually Mika Fitzpatrick's uh, high school coach. So uh, I kind of tried to separate the group of dads because a bunch of the moms in town had something. Some of the dads were there for some kids at a birthday party. So got to talk about Mickey Fitzpatrick with him for 15 minutes. Excellent conversation. 
anybody who gets Mika Fitzpatrick, I think he's maybe slowly drifting away off the Browns' radar. But believe everything you tell you, this kid is as real as they come. So, but while we were doing that, what's the first news that drops is Jarvis Landry traded for a package of picks from the Cleveland Browns. What we do know mostly of the pick is it was pick 123 in the 2018 draft. I'll let Pete start here, and then I'll try to put out some of the flames here, guys. But look, Jarvis Landry is a good asset. But if you're expecting Jarvis Landry from, if you want to look at the stat card, and it seems a lot of you guys are doing that, if he's meeting those stats, and this is one where Pete and I agree with this, if he's even close to what he did statistically in his years in Miami, enjoy drafting top five next year, guys. Go ahead, Pete. Um, so let's start here. He's the worst. He's the worst uh, athlete on offense. That's not, you know, that's not disputable. Uh, he, the best case scenario to me is that he plays out this year and they let him walk. Uh, and and then if he signs a big deal somewhere else, then two years later maybe they'll get the fourth round pick they spent on it. Um, it a lot of people will, will tell you that slot receivers are really important, and certainly offenses that use them can can get all that out of it. But to me, and I think the proof's out there, you can find a slot receiver most anywhere. It's not like a difficult thing. What frustrates me about Landry in particular, other than his domestic abuse past, is that the more receptions he get, or I'm sorry, the more receiving yards he gets, the worse his team does. Uh, his, his team, any game he's he's got a five-year track record. In any game he's led the team in receiving yards, they lose at a 69% clip. Any game where he's not leading the team in receiving yards, his team loses at a 37% clip. So right there, you're saying, my team does worse when this guy gets the ball more. And I think a lot of this has to do with, if you're looking at this from a defensive standpoint, and let's look at this through the scope of the Cleveland Browns, you're, uh, you know, Jarvis Landry is slower than Jeff, uh, and... (laughs) If I'm a defensive, if I'm a defensive staff, and I'm looking at how do I need to defend the Browns, I got to stop Josh Gordon. He could kill me any any given play. I've got to stop him. You know, David Njoku's dangerous. He's six. You know, he's 250 pounds. He can run like a gazelle. We've got to take care of him. Duke Johnson. He's an electric playmaker. When he gets the ball in his hands, we've got to be able to sort of take care of him. Uh, and, and you sort of find your way. And then there's Jarvis Landry, and it's. He just doesn't do much to really scare you. And people talk about, well, he doesn't need to. He just needs to convert first downs. Except for his career, he only converts first downs 54% of his receptions. That's for his career. That's not just Jay Cutler. That's with Tannehill. That's with anyone else for his whole career. So basically, if you're a defense and you can string out a drive where you just keep Landry in front of you, let him catch the ball and tackle him twice, chances are you're going to punt. That's a win for you. Uh, and, and I think a lot of what happens with Landry is defenses sort of basically back up, let him have the underneath stuff. He catches the ball, runs a couple yards, and gets knocked short of the sticks. And the, and the proof is in the statistics. He averages five yards a reception. Or I should say where he catches the ball is about five yards past the line of scrimmage. And he averages about five yards, of, yards after the catch. So basically he's always going to catch the ball – Super short because 
He's slow. And this idea that, well, it's the offense, where are you going to send him? Because if he's going to go deeper, now he's going to get more attention, and now it's going to be easier to stop him. So I think a lot of what Jarvis – and look, yes, he has 400 catches in four years. It's a great achievement. He's been a three for Wolves. They all sound very good. What the problem I have with it is I think a lot of that is because defenses want him to get the ball as opposed to guys that can really kill you. Can he do some things that help the Browns move the first down, move the ball down the field, get some first downs? Yes. The problem with Jarvis Landry is he's a knucklehead in terms of how he handles himself in the locker room. And this is a problem in Miami. And a guy who had 160 targets last year pouted because he didn't get enough targets. That's insane. That number of targets in Cleveland should be cut in half. And if that's going to be how he reacts to that, it's going to be a problem. Because there's no way he should be getting that many targets. And the issue is this idea that, well, he wasn't, he he was the number one receiver in Miami. Well, the answer is he really wasn't supposed to be. It's just sort of how it worked. They had these guys they wanted to be getting funneled the ball more, and it just works out. And, and, And the other part of this is quarterbacks like to complete passes. And if defenses are really guarding up on, and it was Devontae Parker and and uh, Kenny Stills and some of these other guys, Kenyon Drake in Miami, it's Josh Gordon, David Njoku, whoever else in Cleveland. If the if it's a matter of uh, Josh Gordon's going to open up in a, in a second or two, but I can dump the ball off to Jarvis Landry because he's wide open, a lot of quarterbacks who don't have sort of the, the I guess, chutzpah, the uh, kahutzpah, chutzpah for Tony Kornheiser listeners, uh, <laughs> the, is that now you're dumping off these balls and you get into that whole thing where everybody hated Cody Kessler for is now whatever quarterback he's sort of around becomes captain checkdown, which everybody hates, except that that's sort of what that creates. So it's not that it's the end of the world, Jarvis Landry, some horrible player. It's just what he sort of does is he just becomes a vacuum and pulls everything into him. And that can be a real detriment to your offense. Yeah, now a couple of things, and look, guys, I'm not as down on the deal with Pete as as down on it as Pete is. Um, I do agree. There, there's a a good chance that this is a one year look. See, do we like Jarvis Landry? Do we want to talk numbers after this? And they're not going to talk about Miami production. They're going to talk about what he did this year in Cleveland. That will be what they're going to pay him if he does not like that and he wants to get pay, paid on his stats in Miami. He'll only be here for one calendar year. Uh, a couple things. Uh, like Pete said, with the slot receivers, the most difficult thing in the world is to find yourself a true number one wideout. We are in the era now where spread football is played at the freshman level of high school. There are slot receivers everywhere. You can find them. Could you have gotten one with pick 123? Most likely you could have. Could you have gotten one who have put up the production numbers as far as receptions that Jarvis Landry has? That's you know That's a difficult one. So I will give the nod that pick 123 for a guy who's proven if he's open, he will catch the ball. I can live with that. Um, Pro Bowls is a barometer. Guys, this is one we need to stop doing. The Pro Bowl gets down to the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth option out of position. So you got, please don't bring up, oh, well, he played in Pro Bowls. A lot of guys played in Pro Bowls, and you know it's just the way it goes. It's not a barometer to use. Um, like Pete mentioned, as far as him always being opened, 
there's defensive coordinators just said, look, let Jar, you know, we'll play the Ben but breakdown style. You're not beating me deep with Josh Gordon. You're not going to beat me deep with Corey Coleman, who can get deep. Ask Jalen Ramsey. So you want to know what? I'll let Jalen Ramsey catch the ball three or four yards from the line of scrimmage, and hopefully I've got two guys there to get him immediately. Because he's not going, you know, actually he might only need one, because most likely he's not going to beat one. So, and the other thing is you guys are getting caught up in the numbers. You guys are looking at his stat numbers and thinking you got a BMW. When in actuality, it's more like a Hyundai. It's functional, it's good, it does its job. But you know, you guys are taking that reception at total and, and making it more than it is. I got, you know, you want 100 receptions? Look what Julio Jones has done when he's caught those, you know, caught that many balls. Look at a Calvin Johnson when he's caught close to that many balls. You guys are equating this too much, and you know, oh, top 10 wide receiver in reception number alone, guys. He's not. Josh Gordon's still your top dog here. Corey Dolman, Coleman is still, whether or not you like the fact that he's gotten injured twice, still should provide you a bigger, you know chunk and that type of thing that you're going to need. I mean, you need to move the ball. Chunk plays are the way to do it. You know, if you want to play 1980s football where it's, you know, three, four yards, running the ball, three, four yards, three, four yards, throw it to run Andrew for three, four yards, and, you know, you're not going to continue to turn out 15-play, 16-play drives, and that's the kind of guy Landry is. So, for me, look, I'm okay with the deal. I don't think it's as great as some people are making out to be. I don't think we're going to burn the place down where Pete's kind of at with it. But uh, look, that's that's where we're at with Jarvis Landry. But the one thing is is he is dependable in what he does. But the, and the other one other thing is is I kind of really thought you already had this guy in Duke Johnson here, and I, Duke had more chunk plays last year than Jarvis Landry, even though he had 27 less receptions, whatever it was. So if you can find a way to maybe have those two work together, you could create a little havoc as confusing under, underneath coverage. So there's one way to go there. But uh, you know, if you got Josh Gordon, you're looking to get vertical. David and Joku, you're looking to get vertical between the you know between the hashes. Let's see how it works. But you know, some, with some of these guys, you know, the enthusiasm certainly certainly needs to be curbed. Uh, now with not even I guess they maybe had an hour to mull that over. Everybody get all fired up, all excited. Uh, pick uh, 65 in the 2018 NFL Draft was shift off to the Buffalo Bills. Tyrod Taylor, uh, come on into Cleveland. Uh, I think the sole purpose of this is, is look, uh, I think John Dorsey said this is not a situation where you're going to rush a rookie quarterback. So we're going to make sure that that's not going to be the case unless we are you know, a million percent sure that he's ready to go week one. But Pete, Tyrod Taylor from Buffalo Bills made his way on over to Cleveland. Um. It's frustrating at a couple of angles because we cut Josh McCown last year, obviously, who was good. Um, it's, frustra- <laughs> it's frustrating because Colin Kaepernick's sitting out there and for free. But I understand the idea. I mean, the sticker price is is it, it's high. I, I don't think there's getting any getting around that. But if you're pricing in Tyrod Taylor to the idea that one, he brings credibility that guys like AJ McCarron, who is not signed anywhere. What do you know? What do you know? What do you know? Uh, if you price Tyrod Taylor in to the quarterback you're going to take and that works, no one will care. Like the third round pick will not matter. Now, certainly 65th pick can be great. Larry Ogunjobi, number 65, was picked 65th. Clearly, you can get good players there. But if this is – if if having Tyrod Taylor – who can play a whole year for you? He'll miss some. He'll miss a few snaps. He'll miss a game. Likely, that guy will probably will play a little bit, which is fine. Um, but if that 
clears the decks and basically puts the front office in where they can answer one question. Who's the best quarterback? And they pick that guy and they're right. Then boom, it's a it's a fantastic move, no no problem. But the problem you run into is let's say Tyrod is okay this year. The Browns go 5 and 11, but they completely miss on the quarter let god forbid they take Josh Allen and they just completely screw the screw the pooch on that at that point Tyrod become that that pick becomes a massive weight that hangs around this front office so it be it's frustrating from that a- angle it, it, and this is the pressure i suppose you'd say of of taking a quarterback this high so Tyrod's almost on on like just part of the package but he doesn't really matter uh, if he plays well, great. As long as he plays the 16 or 15 or whatever, he, you know, that's fine. But whatever he does, it's all about what it allows the Browns to do with the pick one. That's really all that matters. And and any discussion of Tyrod Taylor comes down to uh, what that quarterback does because the, the, the argument that has already fallen on its face is the idea that Tyrod Taylor would make free agents want to play here didn't happen uh and and i think that's not a not a uh question of john dorsey being a negotiator anymore that it was a question of sashi Brown being being a negotiator i think that's entirely because the the stink of hugh jackson is just all over this franchise and you can't get out get it out you need a fumigate you need a priest but that ultimately is what's really hurting and, and they've certainly found some guys that they'll plug in uh, but, uh, you know, they've they've chased and missed on some of these free agents, and it all comes down to Jimmy Haslam and Hugh Jackson and that, that stink that is on this franchise. Well, I mean, the two prime examples, I mean, you look at Allen Robinson, you know, chose Chicago, chose the proven quarterback, chose, uh, and he knows he's going to a system where a head coach has just been brought in. He knows there's stability there. Uh, obviously, Sammy Watkins going to Kansas City. You know, Andy Reid seems to be fine and stable there. It, it, you know, it's it's seems idiotic to keep saying this, but you kept a head coach who was one in thirty-one in his last thirty-two games. I mean, you tore down the house, but you basically you know kept the faulty electric that burned the place to the ground. So you know that's the theory there. Tyrod, I do like obviously mobile. Uh, you know, he throws a good deep ball. He's got a strong arm. But guys, like anybody who listened to the episode I had with Sal Capaccio, who covers the Buffalo Bills, he's a uh, you know obviously uh, you know he's a beat writer with follows the team. He said on more instances, more than one instance, he went and spoke with defensive players from the opposing team after the game and said, all right, well, what did you guys do? How did you get to the... Ah, trick was just to drop some coverage and make Tyrod beat us. So, you know, that's what you're getting with Tyrod. There's a lot of flash to his game, but, you know, at the end of the day, he is not this between, you know, I'm sorry, in-the-pocket passer that you're hoping that you're going to get, whether it's a Rosen or a Darnold or a Baker Mayfield who worked within the structure of the offense. You know, a lot of Taylor is the legs, and I believe his time in Buffalo, a lot of time in Buffalo, he returns you one 300-yard passing game. So it's it's an okay move. It is. Let's just hope it's an, a solid precursor to whatever the guy is who is obviously drafted at one. Uh, and then, obviously, Pete, not even much longer after that, I think Adam Schefter did a spot on ESPN where he did both these moves back-to-back. Um, Deshaun Kaiser, obviously, Demarius Randall, some draft picks involved. 
Me personally, first things off the bat, I don't care. I'm never going to give up on a 22-year-old quarterback that I draft in the second round, that I drafted in the second round, and I put him in a situation that may have been worse than his college position. I, I just wouldn't give up on that. I, I don't care if there's too many cooks in the kitchen, if that's the term you want to use. Talent will always rise. Whoever's the best of the group will find a way to get to the top. But Deshaun Kaiser moved on to Marius Randall, who seems to be a guy that everyone to the man here is excited to get here into the secondary in Cleveland. That move was made. Go ahead, Pete. I love this trade. Um, now, the, <coughs> the first part of this is Deshaun Kaiser. Um, Hugh Jackson should wear that the rest of his career, which should not be much longer in the NFL. It's an absolute disgrace what was done to that kid. There are people in the building who are no longer in the building who told him not to do it, begged him not to do it, warned him not to do it, and he did it anyway. And he ruined this kid, uh, at least for the time being. So I'm thrilled for Kaiser to be able to go to Green Bay. Uh, the other part of this is I really like the acquisition of Demarius Randall. Uh, for what Greg Williams wants to be, Demarius Randall fits. He's a gambler. He's a guy who's going to take shots. Uh, and that's Greg Williams in a nutshell. Uh, and, and I think the defense that the Browns saw last year, you saw all the gambling without the payoff. And, 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 and what I mean by that is turnovers. Like a Greg Williams defense has to have turnovers, and the Browns, I believe, only caused 13 last year, and I think seven of those were interceptions. Seven, yep. Uh, and, and that had to eat at Greg Williams every day he was there. Marius Randall will go out and make plays on the ball. Uh, he has 10 interceptions to his career. Packer fans got my mentions and said, "Well, because the ball was thrown right to him." And look, if that's what it, if that's if it's luck that the Browns get out of this to get the cause uh, turnovers, fine. I think a lot of that ends up being more of knowing where to be in a certain situation. But regardless, you have a guy who played corner in Green Bay because they had Ha Ha Clinton Dix of free safety. Randall is a college free safety. He's going to go home to free safety. Uh, it Now, not only does it give them a player that may or may not work out, it at least allows them to sort of hold off. They are no longer forced to go get a free safety. Uh, in, in a draft class where it's not great at free safety, um, there are some guys that I think have some talent, clearly Micah Fitzpatrick being the best. Uh, the, but this now eliminates it. To where, first, I don't think Mick Fitzpatrick's even in the conversation anymore for the Browns. And and two, it's a big boy organizational move to sort of address all your needs or as many as the, many of them as you can before the draft. So when you actually get to the draft, instead of saying, we need to get this, this, and this, or we're screwed, to these are the best players that can help us be a better football team and help us win games. That's what an adult-looking organization does. So they deserve a lot of credit from that standpoint. And if Demarius Randall works out, great. If not, you've deferred it for a year. They can always go out and get somebody else. But this really lets them just get the best players possible. He's young. He's immature a little bit. He's got to grow up. Uh, but the guys who picked him in Green Bay are now the guys who are picking him in, in Cleveland, which I think may be beneficial for him. Uh, this should put any talk of the angel concept de down, death, over, should never be there again, short of being in the situation where the uh, the Saints were in the playoff game. Could have used it there. 
Uh, but other than that, <laughs> they should have what looks like you know an American NFL defense where the you know two safeties are in the field of play and they actually have eleven guys that could potentially make plays, which is going to change a lot for this defense. And obviously, with the with the way this appears to be going with the defensive line, that's going to make everybody better. They're going to have some more credibility, and Demarius Randall has some versatility. So they can still do things like if they really want to, they and I, you know, I wouldn't rule this out as a good idea. Uh, is if they want to go with like a big nickel package or a big dime package, have Body Calhoun come in his slot, have Demarius Randall come down as the other slot, move Peppers to free, has experience there, put Kindred at strong, and and have a nice little package there with with those guys. But it just gives them a lot of bodies where they can move them around and and just prevents them from being forced to chase after things in the draft, which is never in a position you want to be. Uh, I do agree with you there. I'll go with this one right off the bat. Um, and that's the thing. With what Randall brings you, Jabril Peppers brings you, Kindred, you start doing things like that, now you can bring, you know, obviously, you know, you can bring blitz packages from the secondary as well. Because these guys can line up in different spots. So, and they are capable of, you know, it, you know, if you want to you know, limit the reps there and you're going to define the two positions, this is what they are, but they can do some other things and it allows you to, you know, mask your, obviously your coverage, mask your blitz packages, which is something you truly need to do in the NFL these days. Um, as far as the angel position, yes, please die. It'd be nice to see some all 22 footage where, uh, you know, the Browns free safety is actually within the all 22 still shot of the play before it starts. That'd be nice. Um, as far um, and as far as the Minka thing, uh, yeah, I, I think this is more now where safety isn't something you're concerning yourself with in this draft. It has shifted to cornerback. And look, uh, a lot of guys. I'm getting a lot of texts. A lot of guys with well, Minka maybe cornerback. From what we've seen to this point, guys, Denzel Ward, Jairi Alexander, these guys have cornerback tape. Minka doesn't. These guys tested as better athletes. If Minka, if you're thinking Minka Fitzpatrick as a cornerback, we've moved past that. There are guys who have supplanted him. They have the tape. They have the better measurables. They have the better athletic ability. These are the guys you focus your eyes on in that sense, you know, in that era. And as far as what people brought up as going into the draft, now you are targeting players. I want this dude. I want this dude. I want this dude. It isn't a question of what position they play. It's a, it's a position of, I have them extremely high on my board, I am getting them. It'll all work itself out. I'm not worried about my second right tackle because, or I'm not worried about a third guard. I am drafting the top five players on my board in the top 64 picks. That could still be maneuvered. I think it will be. Obviously, there's no way, I mean, most teams ain't going to sit, sit still, but it gives you a position to attack what you want as opposed to what you need, which is what Pete was stressing there. Guys, we've been listening to Locked On Browns, episode 179. If you listen through the Megaphone app, now's a great time, guys. Go ahead. Whether it's iTunes, whether it's Spotify, go ahead, leave that five-star review. Uh, kindly appreciate that. Which brings us, Pete, to our last move. Uh, obviously, Danny Shelton moved to the New England Patriots, uh, sent a fifth-round pick over, take back a third-round pick in 2019. Guys, do not get too excited. Uh, you know, I don't think the Patriots are going three and thirteen this year, so this isn't going to be in the pick in the sixties. Going to be a lot closer to a pick in the nineties. Uh, Pete, I know this is one that cringed you a little bit. This one, I'm a little bit more okay with. But go ahead. Look, from a scheme standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, Danny Shelton doesn't fit where this team is going. 
they want guys to get up the field. And Larry Ogunjobi, uh, why and why the hell did he not play more last year is beyond me, especially if this is where you want to go. Uh, but he fits that true one-tech guy who can get up the field, take blockers with him as he collapses the pocket, whereas Danny Shelton's a clogger who keeps his linebackers free, and he's great at it. Um, a big reason that Joe Schobert went to the Pro Bowl, why Chris Kirksey had so much production this year, is because Danny Shelton's there taking care of them. Uh, and my issue with it is what you got for it. Uh, you traded and arguably an elite nose tackle, and the numbers back it up, believe it or not. Uh, he's not that much worse than Snacks, Harrison, uh, of the New York Giants, who's, who's basically the premier nose guard in football. Uh, Danny Shelton is great at what he does. Now, certainly you can say he, he this isn't what we want him to do, but the Patriots got what is a 24-year-old elite nose tackle that fits exactly what they want to do and they got it for what ends up being the difference between now let's put it this way a fifth round pick which is what the bronze sent to the patriots is uh next year is worth a fourth round pick so you're paying the difference between a fourth round pick from the browns which look i mean they're gonna be Probably 5 and 11, 6 and 10, somewhere in there. A relatively early fourth round pick for what may be the, le- la- the <laughs> last pick in the third round because the Patriots are here to compete for the Super Bowl. So Danny Shelton's only worth the difference between a fourth round pick in the middle of the round to the third round pick at the end of the round. That's that's nonsense. And 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 people who are you know telling me how great John Dorsey is now. How relieved we are to finally get rid of Sashi Brown. Sashi Brown has a track record of straight up doing better than this. Whatever you want to say, Sashi Brown did better in trades. He got a fourth for a punter. I mean, there's you know a fifth for Barkevius Mingo, a sixth for Justin Gilbert, a fifth for Cam Irving. Like, I understand the concept of trading up in the round. Like, uh-huh. I a third round pick is worth is in next year's draft is nice. But there's, it's hard to get away from the fact that you gave away Danny Shelton for effectively nothing. And that's frustrating because he's better than that. And the other part that's frustrating is this idea that, well, since the Browns got rid of him, he sucked. The Patriots, <laughs> didn't, bring in, the Patriots didn't bring in this kid to, because he sucked. He's exactly what they want. They have Danny Shelton now and Malcolm Brown, who are both really, really good, stout guys. They're going to protect their linebackers the way they were that Shelton was for Cleveland. Allow them to fly around, put teams in obvious running, or obvious passing situations. Which, by the way, before Danny Shelton showed up, the Browns couldn't stop the run for a decade. So let's let's lay off the idea that Danny Shelton didn't help the running run defense. Um, the Patriots are going to dictate what their teams do. Now, hopefully, the Browns don't lose that. Hopefully, the Browns still have a great running defense. And Larry Ogunjobi and some of these other guys can step up, but the return just sucks, and there's no getting away from that. And that doesn't mean that Danny Shelton was a, a a needed to be a Cleveland Brown anymore. This is better for Danny Shelton. I'm happy for Danny Shelton to go to a place that's going to use him more. But there's it, you just can't get away from the fact that the return on this trade sucks. Well, and that and see the thing is, and the thing is, is Danny Shelton did his job, graded in week in week out. Um, it's not so much, you know, it's not always with a guy like him or Snacks Harrison. It's not a statistical thing. 
It's what you did for the guys behind you. And, you know, look, Joe Schobert, uh, I think he almost led the league in tackles. Now, here was a guy who, you know, coming into the draft was viewed, you know, maybe as an edge rusher. You know, got shifted to full-time linebacker. And good for him. You ask Joe Schobert, I'm telling you right now, Joe Schobert's going to say, man, that is a tough loss. I understand that they are changing and it's going to be more attacking and getting north. But at the end of the day, there are still teams that run the football and you have to be able to combat that, which is what Danny did. Um, I think next year where the uh, you know the option would have been on the fifth year for $11 million was something that maybe caused them some hesitation. Uh, you know, Be that as it may, this is where we are with these trades. Uh, we're going to come back in a little while. We're going to do part two of this one. We're going to get into the free agent additions. Pete, is there anything you want to hit on before we uh, you know, put this one to bed? Well, just that A.J. McCarron apparently is a bill now, so between, be, be, oh! before, between the start of the podcast and now, A.J. McCarron is the uh, quote-unquote bridge quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Oh, my God. Could you imagine an A.J. McCarron and a Josh Allen quarterback room? God, that would be fun for people. Because apparently the Bills, you know, it's either Josh Rosen or Josh Allen. But whatever Josh it is, they're in on. You got any numbers? It's just a two-year deal. They haven't released any money yet. I don't believe there's much. Uh, and look, you know, look, guys, I hate to say there's some guys that I just can't stand. AJ McCarron's one of them. His smug ass. And look, I, 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 the way it worked out for him. Look, don't carry yourself like you're Johnny Unitas, and you're not. So look, it's just you know, sometimes it happened that way. I sent out a couple of texts over the last couple of days. Nothing on AJ McCarron. Nothing on AJ McCarron. Is it his attitude? Is it this? Is this that? Um, almost every one of them came back. It, no, it's just that he's not good. So there you I, go. I, I will say this for AJ McCarron. He's he an awful, well. awful quarterback. <laughs> and whatever he is as a human being, cocky, everything else, he did pretty well for himself as far as far as the wife goes. So, you know, he can't win them all, but he did win that one. Yes. Hey, look, hey, it, you know, dog sign, you know. Sun signs on a dog's ass. You know, I, I married well too. So, but guys, locked on Browns. Uh, go ahead, follow Pete Smith, guys. You know all the work from NFL Spin Zone covering the Browns. There, follow the show at Locked On Browns, uh, guys. As always, follow back account. You guys help me provide the content that you want to hear. Follow me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, can't appreciate. Uh, can't thank you guys enough for everything we're doing. Uh, to Joe Thomas, look, uh, eleven years of great football. Uh, you know, look. Get on a fishing boat. Go catch all the big ones. Still one of the coolest draft moments I, I will ever remember. He was a guy who said, nah, I'm going fishing with my dad. That's just the way it is. That's what I said I was going to do. So the pictures of all that, I still remember watching it live. You know, so got to love a guy who sticks with sticks to, you know, the way he was raised. Uh, all the best, Joe Thomas. And uh, we're, we're going to always wrap it up the same way. We're going to do this one a little bit different. Uh, you know, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, go, Joe Thomas. Kick ass and whatever you're choosing to do for the rest of the uh life, career, anything. Best of luck to you and the family.